Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we're talking about Deuteronomy 10 through 23, reflecting God's character through worship, leadership, and civil laws. Hey guys, welcome to FNT Bible Talk. Today's episode, we're going to talk about Deuteronomy 10 through 23. And before we do, I just want to recap last week's episode. If you recall, last week we had our guest, Nick Godshaw, pastor in Summit up in Pennsylvania, join us. And we talked about the beginning of Deuteronomy regarding Moses and what he was calling the people of God to do. We looked into the, this prayer that's called the Shema that the Israelites still quote even today and how it would have implications in our lives. But today we want to look a little bit more at the second speaking of the law and then maybe a little bit of the exhortation leading into it. So just so we remember, the book of Deuteronomy actually means second law, which means it's an explanation of the law to the second generation of the Israelites. So we have to remember that these people are about to go into the promised land, which we'll find out in Joshua. But this whole book is just a call to be faithful to the Lord and obey him, love him, and not turn to any other gods, which we're Mm -hmm. about to see as they go into the land of the Canaanites. So as we step into some of these chapters, even in like 12 through 26, which are some more of the law, We might think of these as obscure or weird, but what we're really looking at here is just a call to holiness through Yahweh, an encouragement to serve only Him and no other gods, and really just a call to reflect His character, which is good. So as we jump into 10 and 11 and we finish Moses' opening speech, what we see here is just second tables of stone, which is just like a reiteration of the law. And once again, just to fear the Lord to walk in all of his ways, to love him and to serve him with all your heart and your soul, and just to keep his commandments and his statutes. And in chapter 11, that continues just as Moses is ending his speech. Just think about the last part of a speech. Whenever someone gives a speech, it's just really important that they close it with their most important statements. So Moses is calling them to love and obey God, to recall the past, and just to encourage the Israelites to follow God as they walk into the future in the promised land. Remember, they're about to go into the land of Canaan, where many people worship pagan gods. So this is just a call to help Israel remember the one true God which led them out of Egypt, which will lead to blessing. And so this does lead us into chapters 12 through 26, which is the law chapters of Deuteronomy. And there's a few things I want to say about these chapters before we jump into them some. And and particularly, we've dealt with the law a little bit earlier in the reading plan regarding Exodus and different things. But I do want to speak some things about the law. And I think just growing up, my understanding of the law, and even just as a, a person living today, reading the law, the law doesn't necessarily make sense to me sometimes. It's mm-hmm. just like... That law's weird or it's uncomfortable. I don't understand why God did that way, but he did. And so there's some things I want to say about that to help bring some clarity and some understanding to that. But number one, we always have to understand anytime we come across Old Testament law, number one is that the law was not given before grace. Redemption was poured out upon the Israelites before this. Mm-hmm. 
And, and it's the same even with us today. But really what it is, is that the people of Israel, it talks about how they were redeemed out of Egypt, meaning they were pulled out, they were, they were taken out of slavery. Grace worked and they received the grace of God to be pulled out. They were chosen by God. They became his people. God loved them. God redeemed them. God was merciful to them and he was good to them. And then the law comes into the picture. And so what we know about this, one of the biggest misunderstandings for people today reading the Old Testament, they believe that the obedience to the law is what saved a Jew in the Old Covenant. But the truth is, is that's never the case. What was the case is that they were already redeemed by God. They were already his people, but the law was put in place so that it could be blessed and that they could be a blessing to nations. Because if you remember, God's promise to Abram was this, that I will bless you and your descendants and this, so that you will be a blessing to all nations. And so the law was set up in such a way that the people of God will be blessed if they obey this. It was for their benefit. It was a good law. And in the truth is that the nations around them would be blessed from Israel's obedience and they too would receive just the goodness from God because of the law. And so the law was never given for the means of salvation. This is where the Pharisees drastically messed up. This is where Paul even himself would say in the New Testament, where he messed up before he knew Christ, is that he looked to the law for justification. But God in the Old Testament never said the law is the means of justification. He just simply gave them the law for them to live a life that would show how great he is to the world and that they would receive blessing from it. The Pharisees would put the law in a place where it's like, this is how we get saved. But even they misunderstood it. And so it's always been old and new looking unto the Messiah, Jesus Christ. For the old covenant, it was looking forward to the Messiah. For the new, it's looking into Jesus now, backwards, but also forward to his return turn for salvation. And that's where salvation has always come, is God's redemptive work. And so moving with this and understanding is that the, the people who received the law that we're about to read or talk about in Deuteronomy 12, 26, were people that God had already poured his grace out over. And so their response to the law was not like how we might read it. So we read the law and we automatically think like, oh gosh, what a terrible life. And I understand, considering the freedom we have in Christ now, it makes sense. Yes, I would never want to go back to the law because what we have in Christ is so much better. But for them, their perspective, if you could understand or put yourself Mm -hmm. in a Jewish person's mind and understanding during this day, the law was a gift. It was not burdensome to the point where they were like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. The Pharisees made it burdensome, but God never intended the law to be burdensome to destroy his people, but it was a gift for them. And in fact, the truth is, is that is even how the people of God viewed it then. I think sometimes we read about them, we maybe think they're probably thinking, oh my gosh, this is hard. No, they were, they delighted in this. This is what David himself said. And we talk about David was a man after God's own heart. And Psalm 119, 45, and I'm going to read a few verses here. It says, I shall walk in a wide place for I've sought your precepts. Verse 47 says, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 97 says this, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Verse 127 says this, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. And verse 160, uh, 119 says this, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And so I want us to understand this. Yes, what we have today in the new covenant is endlessly better in Christ. 
But the law that was given to them was good. And the people of God at that time viewed it as good. David loved the law of God. He saw it as something to delight in. He saw it as something that gave him life and strength. And it was not intended to be burdensome for them, but it was intended to be something that blessed them and that even benefited them and that would fulfill God's purpose for the Israelites. And we have to remember his purpose going back to Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, was that God would pull Abram and bless him and his descendants so that they could be a blessing to all the nations around them. And ultimately that will be fulfilled in Christ. But even this was part of that that role up until this point. And so going forward with the law, we have to understand the law was good. The law had purpose. The law blessed these people. And the law really equipped them. And it displayed God's glory. And we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. About how the, the law would show off the wisdom. Or the these people, if they obeyed the law, would show off the wisdom of God. And that's exactly even what we do today. There are commandments in the New Testament. Now, we don't call them law, but we call them commandments. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Or Jesus says, love your enemies. Uh, Pray for those who despitefully use you. That's a command from Jesus. Jesus isn't suggesting these things to us, but they're commands. We don't call them law. We call them the commands of, of Christ and the teachings of Christ. And they're for our lives. But we could take these same commands, and people do this today, and they convert them into the means for justification or the means for salvation in someone's life. And when we do that, we're acting just like the Pharisees did with the law from the Old Testament. It'll never be, and it has never been, that we obey certain commandments and therefore we are saved. It'll always be an act of grace, save the people in the Old Testament from Egypt, or an act of grace saved us from the bondage of sin and the trap of Satan in the New Testament through Jesus Christ on the cross. Therefore, our response to God's love for our lives causes us to delight ourselves in the commands and the teachings of Jesus. Jesus has saved me. He loved me while I was his enemy. I want to love my enemies. I want to pray for those who despitefully use me. And so that's what this really is, is that the law was given to these people, not for them to be underburdened, but out of God's love and gracious heart to redeem them, they responded to the law with I want to obey because of what God has done. It was a response of obedience for what he's done already, not a, I do this and then God's going to do something for me mentality. And it's the same for us today. We obey the commands of Jesus and the teachings that we read about in the epistles simply because Jesus has saved us and changed our life. And we we want to love him and follow after him. And it's a joy to do those things that Jesus commands us to do. And it was the same for them. A couple places in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 14, 23 through 25, and Deuteronomy 16, 15, it talks about how the Israelites were called to rejoice and be joyful in the commands that God had given them. And in the same exact way, we do the commands of the Lord because we love him. And that was the same call to the Israelites. It was a joyous thing to complete these laws, just as we have a joy to to follow the commands of Christ. So as we jump into chapter 12, this is where we start the laws. And I just want to read Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 32, which says, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you do not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their God, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I might also do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take for it. 
we need to remember that these are the covenant-keeping terms of the relationship between Yahweh and his people. And a common theme that we see in the book of Deuteronomy is that blessing and curse are before Israel. If they obey, you know, they're going to inherit the land that God has given them, and they're going to experience the blessings that God has for them. But if they don't, they're going to know the curses of the covenant, and they're going to be cast out from the land, which ultimately we see Moses kind of prophesy about that because they do get exiled eventually out of the land. So this is the call in Deuteronomy 12. Don't follow the gods of the people that you are going to dispossess, which were the Canaanites and their pagan gods, but follow after me and keep my commands. And if you do that, you're going to be blessed. And we have to remember, too, that if these people were to be people of faith, they would obey the commands, right? If, if they believed Yahweh to be as wonderful and as good as a God as he had spoken them to be, they would walk in obedience to the commands of Christ. And so they would receive the blessings. So faith has always been the means to receive blessing from God. And we can say that even with New Testament giving is that we do not give just because it's a lawful duty, but when we give in faith... We receive blessing from God, and He pours out His grace that is sufficient mm-hmm. for all things in our lives. So, yeah. the obedience to commands is always connected by a heart of faith. It is not; it does not change old and new. We must always be people of faith, and that's even for the Old Testament believers here. And so, what we move into is we move into a section, which is twelve through sixteen, which is kind of like the areas where Israel's worship and how they would worship in that time would be. And there's some really awesome ways they would do this. But one particular way that I want Becca to kind of talk about a little bit is in chapter. 15 and it's the sabbath years of release but one of the things that we kind of mentioned already is that when we look at the the law of god here god set up the law to reveal and reflect his character so god's law is a reflection of who he is and so one of the things that we see in these laws which is really neat is we see god's very character in his heart and how he treats people reflected through these things so in chapter 15, we really see is um, kind of what they call the Sabbath years of release. And so at the end of every seven years, what masters were supposed to do is to release the slaves that they had currently working for them. And if the slave wanted to stay, then they could, and they would give them an earring and bind them, and they would be theirs forever, and their family could stay, and they could work for their masters until they died. But What's really important is that we see, just like Felix is saying, that God's law reflected his character. And so when the Israelites followed his law, not only were they setting themselves apart, but they were truly reflecting the generosity and the love and the compassion of Yahweh. And so we we see in chapter 15 that at the end of seven years, the slave could go free. But not only did a master just set his slave free, what he really did is God calls them to give them just such outrageous generosity. He would say, just bless them with all kinds of things. Don't just let them go. I want you to abundantly bless them. And one of the things that we have to realize here is think about who the Israelites were. They were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. And think about what God did for them. God set them free from such captivity and such bondage. And here we see just a reflection of, do what I did for you. I was such an outrageously generous God, and Mm -hmm. I gave you so Mm -hmm. much, and I set you free from captivity. So I want you to reflect my character and do the same for those that are in your care. And so at the end of seven years, God would say, don't just let him go. Bless him and let my love be poured out through you just as my love was poured out whenever I set you free from captivity. Yeah, and it's really, it's a beautiful picture because number one, it's like, okay, here's this picture of God displaying, like, I'm a generous God. 
And we may read these things and we say, okay, I don't, we don't have slaves today like this. Okay, we don't. We don't live in the society. So the law, like we said earlier, it's coming kind of like, okay, well, how does this apply to me? The truth is, is what he does is God, number one, he reminds them of what he's done for them. And whenever we're walking in our own lives, God wants to remind us often of what he's done for us by redeeming us through Jesus Christ on the cross. In that, that when he reminds us that it, it challenged our lives and the way we treat people around us, right? So when we're around people and we have opportunities to be generous, we were reminded of how God generously gave his son for my redemption mm-hmm. and so that I could be saved and freed. And now I can call him father. Now I have access to a holy God at any moment and no longer, um, no longer I'm in rags, but now I'm free. And so now I want to be generous because God has been generous. And so I live that way. And so he calls them to action, to be generous people, not by just giving them a law to do it, but by reminding them who he is. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with us today. God reminds us who he is, and it spurs us, I'm going to walk in the way of my Father. But -hmm. one of the awesome things that we do see in this passage, and this is picked up by Paul in the New Testament, is about these, these slaves and how they could go free. But if a slave did not want to leave his master's control, that they would nail a nail through his ear. And this is a picture of how the example Paul gave is Paul said that he's a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was picking up this imagery here, how he would not want to leave his master's reign. He wanted to be fully submitted to Jesus Christ and to his will. And that's what a slave was then. They, were, they would do everything the master wanted. And the masters, particularly in the Old Testament, Moses' teachings here and Moses and the law, they were not to be ruthless masters, but they were supposed to be good masters. And so because of that, the picture is that Jesus is the perfect master, the perfect Lord, the perfect person to follow and go after, and we're slaves unto him. And so Paul's like, I want to be one of those slaves that instead of leaving when the time's up or when the years are up, I want that nail to be put through my ear so that I, people know I am a slave of this master. And so it's, it's just a picture that Paul picks up himself, but it's for our own lives today that we are bond servants now. And that instead of Jesus letting us go, he saved us and redeemed us and pulled us out of all the things that we were in and generously took care of us. He doesn't just let us go, but now we get to become bond servants of him and follow him. And he's a good master. He's not going to manipulate us. And the beautiful thing about it is that the slaves had the free will and the choice to either go or to stay with their master if they choose to. And it's beautiful to know that just like that, God has given us the free will to choose him if we desire to, and we and we do, so it's a blessing. So as we just finish out this section of Israel's worship, I think one of the, the key points we just have to recognize is that all in all, in all of their worship, the number one thing that they were called to do was love God. And then the second thing that we always see, Old Testament and New, is that we are called to love our neighbor and to take care of people around us. And so his call to Israel was that they were to open their hands to the poor in Deuteronomy fifteen eleven. God always wanted them to open their hand widely to their brothers, to the needy, and those that were poor in the land, and to always take care of those around them. And the beautiful thing here is that there's always going to be a means for us to show the goodness of God to the world around us. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus even says in Matthew twenty six eleven and in Mark fourteen seven that the poor would always be among us. So this is just a great opportunity, y'all, even for us to know that there's always going to be someone around us that is in need and we have the answer and we can always go before people and show them the goodness of God. And what's really cool about that too, and let me just ask you this, Becca, I was just thinking about this. 
basically in the in this section of twelve through sixteen, it's dealing with Israel's worship. And yeah. the two things that God considers worship to him mm-hmm. is loving him and loving people. Yeah. And that's picked up by Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what Jesus says. So ultimately it's like you want to worship God, how do we worship God best? Love him. And love mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Open your hands to people. Care for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a beautiful passage. So we move on. We'll jump to Deuteronomy 16 through 18. really deals with Israel's leaders. And I just briefly want to pick up something here because um, it's a beautiful thing we see right here. Just This is Moses speaking. He's talking about this new prophet coming. It's, it's Deuteronomy 18. And it says, verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them all that I command him. And this scripture right here, when some about Mount Horeb, some about Mount Sinai, and all those events that happened there. Well, what happened on that mountain is where where Moses received God's word and spoke it to the people, the commandments, right? And really, what he's what they're prophesying here, it's kind of a just tucked in, but the prophecy here is really speaking about it. There's going to come a, a new prophet who's going to speak in a sense, just like Moses did from the mountain on Mount Sinai, where he spoke the law and the words and the commands of God. There will come a new prophet who will do the same thing. And this new prophet we know now is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool because Jesus fulfills this. In, and I don't think we think about this often. But when Jesus goes to the Sermon on the Mount, he goes to a mountain. Just like Moses was on a mountain during Sinai and he spoke the word of God. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in the sense, took up this role as a prophet and began to speak forth the teachings and the new commands of God that would fulfill and that we as disciples of Christ would follow. And so this passage is already just kind of giving us a small hint, like, look forward, there's going to come this new prophet. And when Jesus was on the Sermon on the Mount and he was giving that, I wonder, were the people recalling Deuteronomy 18 and thinking, this is that. This is what was spoken. This is what's happening. And that's exactly what Jesus did, right? He fulfilled this exact type of imagery here in this picture that Moses was talking about. And it's just a neat picture that we'd see there. And so it moves on. And we'll go to Deuteronomy 19 through 26, which we deal through some of the civil laws. But regarding the civil laws, we said it from the beginning, the, the, the laws of God were given for the benefit of the people of Israel and to reflect his character. And the civil laws really do show that. There are some laws in the civil laws that we would look at and be like, that doesn't seem right or that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But if you look in a lot, if you really look into the cultures and things going on at that time, you really see how good God was. Mm-hmm. But also, you really see how these laws are going to reflect and be good for the people of God. Yeah. So these laws deal with everything from marriage, family, business, protection of the widows, orphans, and immigrants. And just like Felix was saying, I just thought about going back to the Shema. Y'all, every single portion of an Israelite's life, just like ours, every single peace and facet of our life should reflect God's character. Everything down to a law about your business. And so God really desired Mm, that his character was reflected through every part of life, including Mm -hmm. civil laws, which some of us might be thinking, oh, it's just a civil law. What's the big deal? But no, it was important for the Israelites to be set apart from the religions that were around them. So God called them to reflect himself through even laws like this. So one of the laws that we see in, in, as we actually jump into chapter 24 is the need of the landless 
as against the legal rights of the landowner. And one of the people that we constantly think about when we hear this is Ruth. And so one of the things just we want to bring out is just imagine that you are a farmer and you have 10 acres of land or 100 acres of land. And you might be thinking, okay, well, this is my land and I work and invest my time, 100% of my time into this land and my slaves. So I'm going to reap 100% of the harvest. But one of the beautiful things is we see a law in chapter 24 where during harvest time, those that were poor and those that were needy, if they needed food, that these landowners would open up their land for these people to come and glean the extra parts of their harvest. And we see that in Ruth. You know, Mm -hmm. Ruth goes and gleans the land of Boaz, and we eventually see that they get married, and then Jesus is brought through their line. But the, the beautiful thing is here is that in our society, we would say, wait a minute, that's my 100 acres. No poor person should be allowed to come on my land and glean my land. But y'all, that's the beautiful thing about this. God was always looking out for those that were poor, those that were needy, and those that needed help. And he always brought care to those around him. Yeah, it's really cool because Ruth was a benefactor of the law to yeah. that allowed Jesus to come through her, her line in a sense. And, you know, you think about how many people would look at the law and see it as a burdensome in role, but Ruth's testimony would be is that, mm-hmm. no, she was a benefactor from it, and Jesus came through that. So the yeah. law was good. One of the things, too, that we look at is that the law, like we've said, has, was always a benefit, especially the, the civil laws, was always a benefit for the people of God. And it always cared for the needy. It always cared for the people in the society that maybe didn't seem to have the rights, like the slave, like the woman who, who would be, you know, possibly taken from war and and God's law would care for her. But one of the things is that Jesus understood this and the Pharisees did not, right? The law was not, and he even says this, the, the, the Sabbath was not given to rule man, but the Sabbath was given for man. The law was not given in the simply just to be a, a burden all the time for the people mm-hmm. of God, but it was there to serve the people. It was there to help mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And that's exactly what we have. When we look at the law, we have to understand, we have to ask the question, how did this you know, how did this benefit the people of God? And it did. Mm-hmm. They all did. All of it. So the law the law in itself is a beautiful thing. It really is. And we have to remember that. But even though it was a beautiful thing then, we have something much better today. And just to clarify, and I, I hope we all know this, but we do not live according to these laws. We are not under these laws. But the principles and some truths from it, we can glean from. But we do not live under the law like this unless Jesus states so or restates that law in the New Testament and his own teachings. But Jesus has fulfilled the law, and he's even, in a sense, given us new commands to follow or increase some of these statements in this. Yeah, yeah so just like Felix was saying, these laws, we're, you know, we're, we're not under. And as a modern reader, it might oftentimes be tricky to go through the laws of the Old Testament because they are different, especially for a modern reader. These laws might seem kind of weird or strange. But we just want to point out these are tips for reading these laws. And I just want to quote the Bible Project. They did a wonderful job of putting these tips together, and I really think that they're insightful for us as modern readers. So, number one, the laws. We have to remember that these laws are the terms of the Sinai Covenant, given specifically to ancient Israel, okay, which is a completely different culture than ours. So we have to remember that, which brings us to point two. We cannot compare these with modern laws with the laws of Israel's neighbors. So think about Israel's neighbors at the time. So Assyria, Babylon, people that were around Israel, we're supposed to compare these laws 
to those ancient laws as well. Because think about it. If we compared some of these laws with the laws of our day, we would be just left speechless thinking, well, what on earth does this have to do with me? Or these just seem really strange or obscure. I mean, think about, for example, in Deuteronomy 14, 21, this is one I just think about often because it's so strange to me. Don't cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. You know, we might look at that and think, well, that's strange. That's irrelevant. I'm not cooking a baby goat anyway. And why would I cook it in its mother's milk? But one of the interesting things is at this time, this was very significant for Israel because it was almost like a separation for holiness from all the Canaanite religions that were doing this because they were doing this as almost kind of a sacrifice to their pagan gods. So it might seem strange to us, but at the time where it was written, it made so much sense to the Israelites who were reading it. So don't compare with the modern laws, but to those of Israel's neighbors at the time. And the beautiful thing is, as we do compare it with the Assyrian laws, the Babylonian laws, we see quickly that God instituted these laws to keep Israel at a much higher level of justice and compassion, which ultimately, as we've been saying, just reflects God's character of grace and goodness. And then lastly, we just have to discern the core principle underlying these laws, which, y'all, the core principles underlying these laws are simple. They're God's character, their wisdom, their justice, their compassion. And so as we read these laws, we have to take these tips into consideration because it really is insightful as we go through them. I've always thought of it this way with the law, is that the law was not written to you, but it was written for you. And the sense of this is that the law was not directly given to us like it was to the Israelites. But it is still written for us because there's still many things we can learn from it and learn about God's character and who he is and how it reveals all about his goodness and his justice Mm -hmm. and and wisdom in the earth. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't necessarily read the Old Testament and go through Deuteronomy and look at these laws and say, I'm going to go live every one of these things out because it's not written to you like that. That was written for the Israelites. But it's still written for us to learn and glean from. And that's the beauty of God's word. It's still alive today. It's not just Mm -hmm. a dead set of laws, but it still reveals about God's goodness. Amen. So we pray that as you read Deuteronomy, you understood just the importance of Moses' call to Yahweh's lordship and obeying his commands. And y'all, that was ultimately so that they would live in an abundant life of blessing and relationship with God. So we have to realize that this obedience to the law wasn't legalistic, but it represented a thankful response to God's love and God's Amen. grace, just like Felix talked about, that the law came after God's grace and bringing them out of captivity. And that through submission to Yahweh, God gave the Israelites these practical applications of living holy in everyday life. And he does the same for us today, y'all. Just think about how beautiful, even though we may not be asked to not cook our baby goats in their mother's milk, we are able to look at the commands that Christ has given us and faithfully adhere to them because we love him and we want to be set apart. So next week, we're going to dive into Moses' final speech of Deuteronomy, and then we're going to go into Joshua and how he leads the people onto the promised land, which we're very excited about. We love y'all and we hope you have a wonderful day. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.